So one of the challenges that I've had uh, being a part of this growing and returning church, don't forget we're returning on March 7 and just two weeks from today, and I'm so excited to see everybody. But one of the challenges of a growing and a returning church and seeing everybody face-to-face soon is that I try to remember everybody's name and to continue to, to build community through it all. Uh, and I know that I'm going to forget. I know that Somebody's going to come through those doors and I'm going to call you by the wrong name or I'm going, to, I'm going to put my foot in my mouth somehow once again. Because I've had the experience like way too many times by now of like going up to somebody, going up to one of you and saying, I'm so glad you're here. You know, what, what made you decide to come to Encounter Church this morning? And you said, uh, I've been coming here for a long time now. And I said, well, you know, it's a it's a good time. It's a good chance we, uh, we have a, an opportunity to meet face-to-face. And you say, yeah, that's what you said last week and the week before that. And I think, ouch, again, another case of foot-in-mouth disease. I mean, uh, I, I've done this way too many times to do it with my kids. I, I taught my kids years ago. I said, the, I said something. I made a joke about there being a basement bear. And now they won't go downstairs alone. And like, what have I done years later? I was having uh, lunch with a friend earlier this week who said, yeah, no, I also put my foot in my mouth at times. I'm teaching my uh, kid how to drive, and, and she's actually really good at it. She's a natural, and, uh, and it's, it's gone really, really well, except for parallel parking. She did knock over a couple of cones and said, Dad, do you think that I'm still going to pass the driver's ed exam? And he goes, well, you better pass the driver's ed exam because I'm not going to pay for another one. Obviously joking, but like the, the ball of anxiety that she was ahead of that exam just like stressed her out and collapsed the whole system. It's like we did it again. It's a foot in mouth disease. And that's how powerful, that's how powerful words are. I love this quote from a uh, psychologist who who shared a quote about the power of words. And she said, words are singularly the most powerful force available to humanity. We can choose to use this force constructively with words of encouragement or destructively with words of despair. Words have energy and power with the ability to help, to heal, to hinder, to hurt, to harm, to humiliate, and to humble. Words are powerful. Words are incredibly powerful. And you know that because you've used them or you've misused them. But I have something for you because I want you to know that that not all words are created equally. Some words hit and they just land harder than other words. I mean, you're, you know this, but you might not be aware of this all the time. You're aware of this when you, when you say something that just came across as just too much, just this much more biting than what you wanted it to. But once the words are out there, it's like toothpaste that came out of the tube. It just doesn't go back in. And you know that not all words are, are created and weighted equally because once a bad one comes out, you could say a hundred good ones and constructive ones, and somehow they don't just weigh, outweigh The bad one. Why? Because they're not created equally. Some words just land harder than others. You know this. How powerful, powerful words can be. Because you remember maybe, you remember in second grade when you raised your hand and the teacher called on you and instead of saying Mrs. Whatever, you said Mom. And those words will haunt you for the rest of your life. You remember that exactly because the entire class laughed at you. And it was funny, and then everybody forgot it, except for you. And because words are so powerful, they shape and they reshape. 
the picture that you see in the mirror every single morning. Words can build up your confidence and words can destroy it. And not all words are created equally. Uh, Not all words from different sources are created equally. Sometimes somebody says to you and because of who they are or what they've done or their relative distance away from you, it, it doesn't bother you at all. In fact, uh, around here, yeah, I get, I get some words of criticism on fairly regularly, and some of it, most of it, honestly, it just it doesn't bother me because it's like so far removed. Uh, I remember one time a, a college newspaper did kind of like this review of the, of the church here, and, and it wasn't a, a, a glamorous review. They called it decently loud with just, quote, okay coffee. And because they were distanced and unattached so much, I kind of found it funny. I didn't take it personally. It didn't bother me all that much at all. Other words, but other words, words from a mentor, words from somebody who know me and knows this community, words that could even be spoken out of constructive and love. Oh, words like that just stick with me, just land like a 10-pound hammer on my heart. I remember them. Moms, you think that your daughters aren't listening or your son isn't listening. She is, he is. Dads, for whatever reason, and I don't, I don't know why this is, and it, you're right, it's not fair, but dads, I think your words just hit harder and they, they weigh more. Maybe it's a numbers thing. You statistically use fewer words, so maybe each one weighs more. I, I don't know, but, but I know that it's true. And I know that because I've talked to so many of, of like your grown kids who, who remember with vivid clarity the words that you spoke to them and how it made them feel. They land heavy. And chances are, and chances are, that some of your biggest regrets in life have to do with the topic this morning of words. That just can't be taken back. And have steered you in an entirely direction that you did not want to go in to a place and a destination you did not want to be. And so today, our uncomfortable truth that we're going to take a look at is that words are so powerful. And we absolutely have to get this thing right. Now, fortunately or unfortunately, words have been powerful for a long, long time, and we have failed with words for a long, long time. In fact, the biblical authors struggled with the very same things that we struggle with today. 2,000 years ago, the brother, the younger brother of Jesus Christ himself gave us some words of wisdom of how to use and not to use words, of how powerful words can be. So if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to join us. We're going to go to James in the New Testament, James chapter 3. If you're watching on the Bible app platform online, there's a tool right next to it that you can use that. But James chapter 3, we're going to pick it up in verse 2. That we all stumble, James says, in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect and able to keep their whole body in check. Now, I think he's not going to say that anybody is actually never at fault and is perfect and able to keep their whole body in check all the time, but that's not really the point. The point, I think, that what James is trying to make is that the tongue and your words determine the trajectory of your whole body. 
I mean, the, the point that he's about to unpack here in just a minute is just a simple truth that something as small as a human tongue, like three inches all muscle or several muscles, I'm not really sure on the anatomy, but just three inches long about, is able to, to, to steer and to direct and to guide your entire body, that there's something that you can do or not do with your tongue that will land you in so much trouble. It'll get your whole body fired. It'll get your whole body put into detention. It'll get your whole body suspended. Like these things... These things are true. You know that, that the tongue has this far outsized impact on the rest of your body for its relative size. And, and James unpacks that even more in the next verse. And he goes, you know, let me give you some examples here. In verse 3, he says, We put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us. And we can turn the whole animal, which is true. It's the wildest thing I, I've, I've seen. Uh, my daughter has a, has a friend who likes to ride horses. And for the friend's birthday party, she invited a bunch of her friends out to a farm south of town, and, and they rode horses. And it's a wild thing to see like a nine-year-old birthday girl on the top of a literal thousand-pound animal with a bit in its mouth, a little piece of leather or rope just kind of guiding it left, guiding it right. How is that possible? Because, because that's, that's the far outsized influence and impact that words have. Tiny little bit, huge impact in the direction of this thousand pound animal. James gives another example in verse four and he says, or if you're not a horse person, maybe you're a boat person. Take ships as an example. Although they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go picture that James is calling up is saying, imagine a cargo vessel. I mean, he's thinking of these big, these huge ships, which before like trains and all that, these are some of the biggest transportation uh, vessels that they've ever known. And they weigh heavy and deep in the water, just so much. And then they're, they're moved by the wind, which the, the ship captain or the pilot, as he's called here, doesn't have any influence on the direction of the wind or how powerful the wind are and the strong winds. And the whole thing is so... It's so outsized because the ship captain, if you can like picture this, the ship captain standing behind the wheel just moves his hand a couple inches to the left, which moves the rudder just a couple feet to one direction, which changes the trajectory of the ship by hundreds of miles in a different direction. Tiny little part, huge impact on the trajectory in the future. He talks about horses. He talks about ships. James then unpacks it. He goes, he lands it on words. He goes, verse 5, likewise, just like that, just like the bits, just like the ships, the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it makes huge, it makes great boasts. Tiny little part, huge impact. Next line, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. He goes, this thing that isn't even logical. You, can, you can't even imagine. How in the world can you get this devastating forest fire raging over the continent of Australia last year? Or some of the wildfires that we saw last year out west. Some of the wildfires that, that we saw in Michigan. We saw in the morning. I saw this haze over the skyline as the, as the sun came up every single morning. Because way, thousands of miles west of us, there was this devastating fire that was unchecked and raging. Why? Because somebody had a gender reveal party that went bad and the spark lit a state on fire. 
This tiny little part of this huge, huge impact. You know, in 1871, it's wild, the Great Chicago Fire burned up three and a half square miles of the city of Chicago. 17 buildings uh, burned down to the ground completely. Uh, people lost their lives. The whole thing was started, if you remember, according to the legend, Mrs. O'Leary's cow knocking over the lantern, and all of this devastation happened as a result. You know, that wasn't even the worst fire that took place that year in terms of land burning, in terms of loss of human life. It wasn't even the worst fire that took place in the Midwest because just north of Chicago in that same year, in northern Wisconsin, a devastating fire raged. More people lost their lives and billions of yards of timber were consumed. Why? From a spark. Tiny little part, huge, outsized impact. James continues on, and he says that the tongue, verse 6, the tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire. It is itself set on fire by hell. Church, you've been scorched by someone. You've yourself scorched someone else. Maybe it was a roommate, maybe it was a friend. The words that you've said functioning as that spark that scorched over a workplace, maybe it was a boss, maybe it wasn't even to her face, but behind her back, but yet the consequences rage on and burn on. You've scorched somebody, you've been scorched by somebody. The painful truth is that chances are the people that you've scorched most badly are the people in your life that you most love. And when that happens, it hurts like hell. Because as James tells us, that's exactly the place that those words come from. And the caution of James this morning to each one of us today is that there's more hell where that came from. And the destructive power of words is like a bit or a spark or a rudder. It could change and it could shift your whole body and your workplace and your family and your house, your household with roommates, with friends, or with loved ones could change the entire directory on into the trajectory of hell. We have, have to get this thing right. James says this is, this is how bad it is in verse 7. All kinds of animals, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by humankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Like James, James has been to that birthday party. He's seen the nine-year-old girl on the back of a thousand-pound animal guiding it and steering it because of the bit in his mouth. He's going, we've tamed the beasts. We've tamed the wild horses. 
You know, he can look forward and see a time to today when we can go to a zoo and we can look through a piece of glass and see the world's deadliest scorpion and think on it and say, oh, that's pretty amazing. You know, deadly jellyfish just on the other side of this pane of glass. Wow. We've tamed so much of creation. We've subdued it. We've kept it under control. Yet there's this one thing, James Point, this one thing that no matter what our power is, we just can't do anything about it. And that's taming the tongue. We've known people, you've known people whose words and tongue have gotten them in trouble, gotten them fired, gotten them suspended, gotten them detention. You've known people. Every time, church, every time I stand up on this stage and take up this microphone, that thought scares me because I know how much I've invested in this place. I've been around for a little while. I have some level of influence here. This church started in my living room. I love it to death, believe me. But I also know that there's things that I could say on this stage with this microphone that next week you won't see me. You'll see a member of our board called the lead team and they'll be holding the microphone. They'll say, hey, you all remember Dirk, right? We had a great run, but you're not going to see him around here anymore because that, that's, that's the power that words have. And James is like, it's so irrational. It's so outsized. It's so illogical. It almost makes no sense at all. Get this. Get this in verse 9. He says that with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And also with it, with the tongue, we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. What sense does that make? We praise God and then curse the people that God made. Verse 10. Out of the same mouth, Come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Oh, that'd be weird. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? That's strange. Or a grapevine bear figs? What? That doesn't make any sense. Neither, neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. It doesn't make any sense. And then he ends it. <laughs> and that doesn't make any sense to me. Like you just got done saying how utterly powerful words are. Like a guiding this massive animal with a bit in its mouth. Guiding a ship's trajectory. Guiding and scorching an entire forest with a spark. And then he just stops talking about it. If you're following along in James chapter 3, you can look on in the next verse, and it changes topic, changes, changes everything about it. That's all he says about words. What? Now, maybe, maybe there's something to James that I think he's, he's strategically, he's using fewer words because I think he, he also gets that, that each one of them then lands just that much harder, and he wants his words to land. He wants his, his point to be made. But I also think he abruptly cuts it off because, because he wants you and I to take just a minute and calibrate our words. I think he wants to take a minute for us to consider the trajectory that our words are taking us on into the future. And sometimes we're out of alignment, and sometimes it's a lot. And sometimes it's just a little. 
but words having the constructive power of heaven or the destructive power of hell to scorch our relationships. James wants us to take no chances. And you, church, should take no chances in calibrating your words around God's. Every bit matters. Your words determine your destiny. And every degree matters. The year was 1914. It was the same year that the Titanic sunk in the Atlantic that another shipping accident took place. It took place this time off the coast of Virginia, and it was nearby enough that investigators needed to know what happened because this sort of thing can't keep on happening. And all eyes were on the sea captains as one of them piloting the steamship Monroe was in his own shipping lane when another ship, a merchant vessel called the Nantucket, deviated into the Monroe's shipping lane and struck it. 41 sailors lost their lives. Edward Johnson was the captain of the Nantucket, the one that crossed over on the line, and he was arrested and arraigned, and investigators, attorneys, just pulled his story apart again and again and again. It was five and a half hours of testimony before they uncovered and discovered exactly what happened and how it all went wrong. You see, ships like that, and even today, use compasses. Compasses that are dialed into the magnetic north. It happens automatically. That's how compasses work. Except for what every ship captain knows is that his or her own vessel, depending on what it carries, especially if it was certain kinds of metal, can create its own magnetic field that can disorient the compass, usually not by much, just a couple of degrees. And it's usually not enough to make much of a difference. I mean, the sea captains, they generally, they, they knew where they were going, especially if it was a merchant vessel, and he's been here before. He's done this before. He knows the route, and, and it's, the compass was close enough to take him to where he needed to go every single time, countless times in the past. What the investigators discovered that day is that his compass, because of the magnetic distortion of his own vessel, was just two degrees off magnetic north. Two degrees in the wrong direction. It's so insignificant, yet it moved the trajectory from safety and ease to destruction and even the loss of 41 lives. After discovering what happened, the New York Times reported in the early 1900s that these two burly sea captains saw each other, clasped hands, embraced, cried, cried over the loss of sailors, friends of theirs. And I hope that story shares this, the importance of of addressing the miscalibration in our hearts, the places where our words come from. Because remember, your words determine your destiny. And your words
words that are so powerful, even two degrees, can make an eternal difference, can steer us a little toward heaven or summon up a little bit of hell. So church, I, I want to follow through on this pause that James gives us. And I'd like to invite you to recalibrate your words. As to just look at some of the language that you use and says, I, I don't want to use my words to create a workplace reality or a household reality or a neighborhood reality that functions like this. I need to steer myself and my ship and my relational networks away from this thing because these four things, these do not belong. And I'm just going to encourage you to pick one of them this week and to say one of them I am going to ruthlessly eliminate out of my vocabulary. The first one is criticism. You never, you're always, you're the part, you're the type of person who, listen, criticism, especially in an argument, never stops the argument. It always prolongs it. The next one is contempt. You didn't empty the dishwasher again. Why are you so lazy? Sarcasm. Toxic. It gets a couple laughs. But the lasting damage stays done. Parents especially, using sarcasm will not make your kid tougher. It will only make it tougher to connect to them later on. And defensiveness. I only did this because you did that. I didn't, I didn't empty the dishwasher because I, I'm busy and I have a lot of important things to do. Why didn't you do it? You were home all day. Pick one. Recalibrate your vocabulary. Recalibrate your words. Recalibrate your heart to avoid disaster. In church, earlier on I said that it's not just the words that matter, it's the source of the words that matter. And I know right now that I'm talking to somebody who's had words spoken over you that have shaped your reality to a devastating consequence. But if you, could have, if you could have the audacity this morning and the confidence this morning to replace those words, if you could be courageous enough to hear another word spoken over your life, a word from a source with infinite value and worth, a word from God himself who speaks to you, somebody he created with infinite value and worth, that Jesus Christ died for you, and rose again to new life for you. And John, in writing out his gospel, his Jesus story, according to John, a guy who slept next to Jesus, just feet away from him for years, followed after him, hung on every word his rabbi and Lord and Messiah, Jesus Christ said. John sits down to write out his Jesus story, to write out his gospel. In the prologue, he opens it with these words from John 1, verse 12. And he says, yet to all who would believe, who would receive him, who would call on his name. He gave you, church, the right to call yourself a child of God because that's what you are. You're a child of God. Whatever word you're hanging on to from somebody in your life, replace that. Have the courage to hear God speak over to you. You're my child with an infinite value and worth. You're my child. And I just not would die for you. I have died for you. And the 
came back to new life for you because you're my child. And so God, that's what we pray, that the word of your truth rules and reigns over each one of us. God, I pray that, that the words that we use this week are words that tell your story and tell your goodness. The words that we use tell of the change that we've seen in our lives because of your presence in it. God, I pray for the person who's hurting right now and can't get the word of somebody that they cared about scorching them. God, I pray that they would have the courage this morning to open up their hearts and to receive your word of life. That they are, and I am, a child of yours. Jesus, we pray this in your resurrected name.